0: The Start On On Demand. The Winnipeg Jets blow it in the third period again to open the Stanley Cup playoffs on a losing note. We'll speak to Scott Oak and we'll talk to one of the Royal Canadian Air Force pilots involved in Wednesday night's flyby. Still with the Jets and the Whiteout, local advocacy group Black Space Winnipeg, would like to see the name Whiteout changed? Saying headlines like "Jets parties will make Winnipeg white again" are troubling. It's World Parkinson's Day. We'll speak to a famous Winnipegger who is sharing his journey with Parkinson's to those around the world. And the RCMP are still nabbing tons of drivers not wearing their seatbelts. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNab. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNab, and this is the Thursday, April 11th podcast the start
1: The unofficial mayor of the Winnipeg Whiteout Scott Oak joins us now from CBC Sports and Scott last night I heard this this assertion that perhaps the crowd wasn't large enough to warrant your presence last night what's the deal with that 9500 or 8500 not a big enough number for you or is it just too cold be honest now
2: well, I think you guys probably know that i like the crowd to be up around 20,000 before I make an appearance. I have to create a sense of anticipation, you know, and make it worth the wait. I mean, you just don't want to launch your campaign for mayor, premier, or member of parliament in front of an undersized crowd. So, uh,
3: Well, folks here... I'm going to give
2: it some time.
3: Yes, yeah, so they hear it here first. If they want you in the crowd, they better come out Friday night then, I guess, is the message.
2: I think that would be the selling point, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Scott, we could go on
1: uh, on that tangent uh, for at least uh, the amount of time we have you booked for today. But let's. Well, then why don't we? <laughs> well, let's not. <laughs> I want to talk about the game and talk about how, in my opinion, my view, uh, what happened last night was what has been going on for the last several weeks. The St. Louis Blues were doing exactly and did exactly what they've been doing for the last several weeks, and so were the Winnipeg Jets.
2: Well, I mean, the, the game is simple to describe. Uh, the Jets, I thought, uh, owned the first two periods, and they lost the third period. Uh, you know, it all comes down in playoffs, and this is an overused cliche, but uh, you know, you'll go as far as your goaltending will take you, and this applies to both teams. I thought Connor Hellebuck was was really good, and Jordan Bennington had that last save on uh, on Mark Shifley with 13 seconds to go, and there was the game. Otherwise, it's going to overtime, and who knows what happens, but. Uh, look, it's it's the first game of what most people anticipate to be a long series. Um, the Jets uh, have to respond on Friday night or they're going to be in a deep hole, but I expect they will. <laughs>
3: One of the things I think, Scott, that people have focused on, not just with last night's game, but the past two weeks, is just that third period and what seems to happen there, that feeling. And I know as a fan watching, I felt a momentum momentum shift. And is there something more going on there than just two teams battling hard down to the final buzzer? Is there something missing potentially on the Jets that needs to be corrected?
4: Well,
2: they certainly have to overcome this difficulty they've had in protecting uh, leads going into the third period. Uh, They've surrendered the lead and lost the game nine times, either in regulation or extra time during the season. Uh, Last night makes it 10, and it wasn't a great place to do it in the first game of the Stanley Cup playoffs. But, uh, you know, basically momentum shifted because St. Louis uh, forced a lot of turnovers. The Jets accommodated them uh, to a large extent at the offensive blue line. Um, and that's got to be fixed heading into game number two, and I expect the Jets will address it.
0: There was some fan trepidation going into the series because the Jets were not this on the same run that they were to end the season last year. Did you detect that at all from the crowd? I mean, it's hard to sort of see it when you just see a sea of white on the television screen and everybody's screaming and hollering, but could you sense any tension throughout the game?
2: I think you could detect that nervous energy all over the city. I mean, the Jets went into the playoffs last year in a huge winning streak, and they went deep, uh, three rounds. Uh, totally different story this year. You know, They have lost, I think, uh, seven of their last nine or something. I can't uh, exactly remember the numbers, but clearly uh, didn't storm into the playoffs, uh, and uh, people you know, are very nervous about their prospects in the postseason. That's just... Uh, the way hockey fans, especially in the Canadian market, think. And why shouldn't they? It was up to the Jets, I thought, last night to restore their faith and they did in the first two periods. And certainly when Patrick Line scored uh, a key goal uh, in the first period. At, uh, you know, a lot of people, including the Jets, but uh, the entire whiteout exhaled, put it that way. Uh, and then the game changed in the third.
1: Scott, the the St. Louis Blues were dead last in the National Hockey League when we kicked off calendar year 2019, and then to have them battling for first place in the Central. Uh, have you seen anything like that before?
2: Well, there have been other miraculous season turnarounds in the NHL, but uh, in recent memory, nothing as spectacular as the one the St. Louis Blues pulled off. I mean, January 3rd, they were dead last in the NHL, and I think I said on the broadcast last night at that point, um, a Winnipeg-St. Louis playoff matchup was inconceivable, but two things changed the Blues' season. One was Craig Berube taking over from uh, Mike Yo as the head coach in November. They sputtered for a while after that, but Berube uh eventually got them heading in the right direction and then Jordan Bennington arrived and what an amazing story he is, one of the best in the NHL this season, but by the end of February, he got a shot early January, and by the end of February he'd posted uh five shutouts. Uh amazing numbers for a guy who spent uh four or five years in the minors and was the blues number four goaltender to start the season. Um, the big question heading into last night was could he play that way in the playoffs where it's a wholly different story, but I think he answered the question. So, yeah, the Blues uh, the Blues have, have it in them to go a long way. I think a lot of people think this way of uh, of the Jets in the playoffs this year. Uh, their playoffs could last two weeks or two months uh, because this is going to be a tough series to win, and whoever wins it has the potential to to do some damage going forward.
3: I think we like to think as fans that we have the best to rink and the hardest rink to play in and all those kinds of things. But when they when they hit the road and get to St. Louis, what you've been there before. The atmosphere there, is it just as charged?
2: Not quite. There's nothing uh, as charged as the atmosphere at Bell MTS Place for a number of reasons. Uh, not the least of which is the building is a very small footprint. So uh, you feel when you're on the ice, at least I've heard this from opposing players, that the fans are almost hanging over you. Uh, they're very active, uh, you know, the the fans in Winnipeg, and they've got a reputation league-wide for that. Uh, any building in the playoffs has a special atmosphere, but I would never compare, I, I think it's the Enterprise Center now in St. Louis, it used to be Scott Traden before that, Keel. Um I would never uh, compare that atmosphere as the, uh, or say it was the equal of what we see at Bell MTS Place.
1: Scott, we got to let you run here, but I want to ask you about Patrick Maroon. He seemed to get under the skin of it. At least two or three Winnipeg Jets, Adam Lowry in particular, and he were were chirping even uh, when they were on the benches. He he was talking around uh, Louis DeBrusque, who was in between the benches for Sportsnet last night, and uh, we heard some colorful conversation, some colorful language last night. And then Maroon goes out and backs it up. He walks the walk and is a big part of the eventual game winning goal uh patrick maroon someone who could have a continuing effect on this series
2: he's an impact player uh he wasn't but then again not many of the blues were for the first half of the season and he's one of those guys who found his game as the season went on he's uh he's he's big he can do a lot of damage and played that way to a, a large extent with the edmonton Oilers, and then he signed with st louis which is his hometown so he's really I guess jacked up for these uh, Stanley Cup playoffs, given it's the team you grew up cheering for that he's playing for now in the in the postseason. Um, you mentioned some colorful language. You'd be surprised what is said on the ice and how many times Louis debrusque or anybody who's at ringside has to close their uh, their key or their microphone so that uh, the audience isn't treated to uh, to some of the things that are said.
0: All right, Scott Oak, joining us live on six eighty CJOB. Scott, of course, legendary hockey broadcaster and perhaps the future count of Winnipeg. How do you like that for a title?
2: Well, let's let's go back to the word legendary. They uh, they only call you that when you're you've been around as long as I have been. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so there's much. There's no Scott. other reason for it. Believe you me, <laughs> uh, there's there
1: lots of reasons, so we'll get into those uh, next time. Thanks for this. We appreciate your time, Thank as you. always,
2: Scott. All right. Take care.
0: Thanks. 945 on 680 CJOB. I heard him last night on the broadcast talking about how, oh, you know, the crowd's not big enough yet for me to to come down and... And say hello to the commoners. I'll just wait till there's more uh, to make his appearance. But what a grand appearance it was last year, seeing him sort of standing above the crowd yeah, like that. It was
3: super cool. I, you know, I, I that that's an image that will hang on forever. I think in the city that people will cut back to 40 years from now. Hopefully, when we're 16 times Stanley Cup champions, we'll we'll show that one in a montage somewhere. You
1: know, Bob Irving has uh, one of the most incredible jobs on the planet. We have a pretty sweet gig here, Scott Oak. His job. If I could trade places with one person for 365 days, it might be him. What an incredible, incredible job he does, and what an incredible job that he has. It's uh, really uh,
0: sweet to watch him uh, apply his craft. We want to have a conversation, and I'm going to open this by saying it's going to make some of you angry. And I just want you to just hear hear it out hear the conversation this is the post from black space winnipeg i'm looking at the facebook post but you can find them on instagram on twitter if you're not aware today the winnipeg jets this is the post yesterday the winnipeg jets kick off its downtown street party series making downtown white again We had to share this for people who come downtown to take part in the Jets festivities. Just remember, a massive street party called a whiteout does not make all Winnipeggers feel safe. And there's a screen grab of a headline that says Jets parties will turn downtown white again. Alexa Potashnik is the founder (laughs) of Black Space Winnipeg and joins us now in studio. Alexa, hello there. Hey,
5: thanks for having me.
0: So what's the reaction been so far?
5: Well, um, with the the span of twelve hours, there have been over six hundred engagements on Instagram and over two hundred and fifty comments. I think we definitely hit some fragility points with some people, and that's okay because we want to have this conversation with Winnipeg and you know the Jets culture and how we can make it inclusive to everybody.
3: Let's start with the engagement on what might be the negative as- aspect as far as some sure. are concerned about saying, OK, well, hang on. It's a tradition that goes back to the 80s. It's got yeah. to do with the color of our uniform yeah. and we are, we're having a whiteout to celebrate our team. And it's not a race or color or yes. conversation there. I what know. do you say to that?
5: Um, I did my research and I saw those videos. And if you go to our Instagram page, you'll see a, uh, a photo that has four men wearing these um, all-white suits with pointed hoods and it's right they they all spell out jets and certainly I understand like Calgary has red and what Vancouver's blue or something yeah and they're
3: like hazmat suits kind of thing that they zip up and the hood comes over the head yeah
5: and I totally understand the blizzard and whiteout and everything but it's still not a safe environment for a lot of people of color and I know it's hard for people to put their mind around that. But that's what a lot of folks feel um, that their safety's at risk when they go to these parties and people are drunk and people say whatever they want. And it's, it's at times it can be a really aggressive environment.
1: So we've had a co- lots of controversies in the past about uh, people who have done things uh, with different intentions and they've been received. And so I think that's Probably the major message here. Yeah. But I look at someone like Joe Biden, who's gone through the situation in the last several weeks about people who have said, "Hey, you made me feel uncomfortable." He says that's not my intention. Well, the intention isn't the story. The intention isn't what we need to be conf- confused or or be co- talking about. Right. It has to do with how it's being received exactly so the way you're receiving it is this commonplace within the within the the, the community that you're representing yeah, like
5: um, people of color within black communities queer communities any type of marginalized uh group you know feels very i think and i can't speak for everybody but i know personally i live on hargrave so that whole Hargrave Donald, I walk through the Whiteout like every single day. And last year, when I when I come home from work and school, and it's just, it's very tense. And I don't know if obviously folks are feeling really defensive because we're they think we're attacking something that is a Winnipeg thing, like we're attacking our home, we're attacking you know the the Jets culture, and we're not doing that. We're getting people to think critically about it. If it's like primarily. Like mostly white people coming downtown dressed in all white, painting their faces white. Um, I'm sorry that that's that's very concerning sometimes. And you have to look at it from all perspectives and people who don't want to look at it from our perspectives want to stay in their box and don't want to be open minded. We're open minded. We understand the history and, you know, justice for everybody. I understand that. But. It's we we need to really work on inclusivity to make sure that everyone feels comfortable.
1: So I've said this for a long time, just exactly a year when these parties were launched. I don't know if I've seen anything that has brought our community together in terms of a common focus, a common celebration. Mm-hmm. So am, am I overstepping my boundaries when I declare this? Because I see people of all cultures, yep. all races, yep. all uh, religious denominations yep. uh, celebrating together. I think this brings us together in a massive way. Right. What do you, what do you say to me? And you and I are friends, so yeah, yeah. We, we, we can disagree uh, respectfully yeah. on
5: I I don't disagree with you it does bring a lot of people together because it has a common goal right like let's let's ride for our team I totally understand that the Jets was gone for how many years and then they came back and it's really brought a lot of action towards downtown but the, the folks who come downtown who are primarily folks who live in the suburbs who are you know who have misconceptions of the inner city? That's the demographics that we're talking about and, and needing to feel safe, even when like they're cleaning up downtown and addressing homelessness and whatnot. It should just be, it, it just needs to be thought about in a different way because obviously, yes, it's bringing people together, but it doesn't mean that everyone who engages in these, uh, in this, you know, culture it doesn't mean that everyone always feels safe, and that's that's the biggest thing that. I think is important to think about.
0: Alexa Potashnik is the founder of Black Space Winnipeg. And have you spoken to people who say this whiteout party gives me stress? It makes me feel unsafe. I was in the neighborhood. Absolutely.
5: I wouldn't have posted this otherwise. I wouldn't have made, you know, a ruckus and caused so much um, concern and and backlash. And I'm, I'm willing to take on, you know, that conversation. But I'm open. We're open. We're willing to have these conversations. We live in this system. So if we're open to it, then folks should also be open to making the party inclusive where everybody feels safe. I think that's just fair for for all parties.
0: So how do they do that then? What's your suggestion on how to change it?
5: Um, This is probably not going to happen, but if they figured out a new name... um, for the party, that would be cool. And I know people like what, but it's tradition and you can't get rid of this. And it's a, it's a storm and it's a whiteout and it's a blizzard. Um, but it's, it's, it reads differently to, to, to people. Right. And you have to, um, get with the times.
0: All right. Alexa Potashnik, just before we let you go, we are getting an absolute, avalanche of text messages right now yeah we can
5: answer some questions if people (laughs) really want to (laughs) well
0: it's it's mostly just angry sentiment but when you when you come out with a a message like this and you're met with with uh predominantly anger I'm Mm -hmm. not saying I haven't looked at all your comments just the the comments we're getting right now are are mostly angry how does that make you feel
5: um I'm not surprised and people are angry because they're not Willing to let their guard down and be vulnerable and hear our perspective. That's where that anger is coming from, frustration and fear. Why are we wanting things to change? Because Winnipegers don't really like things to change, and we're stuck sometimes in complacency. I think
3: that for the most part of what I'm reading, that the, the st- sticking point is just that this is, this is just the color of a uniform in oh, a tradition, yeah, for sure. and so that the idea that it becomes a, a thing about. Race is a, very hard for people to I grasp at this point. We,
5: we hit the fragility nerve. That's what we usually do.
0: Alexa Potashnik is the founder of Black Space Winnipeg. And if you want to see more, you can follow them on Twitter, <coughs> Facebook, and Instagram. Alexa, what's your website as well?
5: Um, blackspacewpg.ca.
0: Alexa, thanks for the visit. We appreciate Thank the conversation. You. But we just want to quickly address a conversation we had in our last half hour with Black Space Winnipeg because we are getting a reaction on our text message line, an absolute avalanche of text messages like we've quite frankly never seen. And some are saying, why did you give her that airtime? Well, listen, we none of us agreed with her on the whiteout. The subject was that the whiteout, that the Jets party is turning Winnipeg white again is a problematic headline for some. It's a problematic image for some. And we just wanted to talk to her and hear her out. We all questioned her. We all asked her, well, what do you suggest? We just wanted to say... We wanted to hear out.
3: And it's a conversation that's actually been happening on their Facebook page, their inter- Instagram page, their social media feeds. And that conversation is happening among thousands of people right now. And most of them don't agree with her. But knowing that that conversation is taking place on that platform uh, allows us the opportunity to say, OK, well, let's come on and tell us what you say. If you really think this is something that thousands of people are interested in, let's talk about it. I think most people aren't agreeing with her. I think I think the issue is that we we see it as a unifying thing Big as opposed time. to a divisive thing. And so I, I have a hard time wrapping my head around it as anything other than that because it's been so great for the city and for the people of the city. But her argument is there are people out here there and she wouldn't have come on if she didn't think that there were some people that are having a hard time with it. Whether you can you can see that side or not, that's up to you. But that was the point.
1: Part of the conversation last year was whether or not the Winnipeg Jets fans should be booing P.K. Subban. P.K. Subban has black skin. He's black. He's Canadian. He's also the best player, most impactful player on the Nashville Predators. And there is a tradition at Winnipeg Jets games of booing the best player on the other team. People don't boo P.K. Subban because of the color of his skin. They boo P.K. Subban because of the way he plays hockey. But that did not stop the conversation last year about optics. Didn't stop the conversation about whether or not we should be doing it or not. And I, for one, don't like to boo any of the players regardless of that tradition. But I didn't see it as anything at all racist, but there were some that were questioning that. And so to put your head in the sand and to suggest that some people, however small amount of people in the community are having a problem with that and to not discuss it, I think that would be irresponsible, not irresponsible to have is very well-spoken. She does a lot of great work in our community. She isn't just someone off the street. She has been doing great work in her community and I don't agree with her at all, but I consider her a friend and friends can agree disrespectfully or respectfully. It's up to you. In this case, I refuse, I refuse to accept the notion that we should not have had her on the air this morning.
0: So thank you very much for your feedback, and we appreciate it. And you can weigh in on our Twitter, or Facebook, and on Instagram. But we want to move now. To the flyover, and I think Loren yesterday you made the comparison, like imagine your dad's up in the plane, and it's like, oh, there goes Dad,
3: yeah, no, it's so great. like you would still wouldn't you still be proud though? I, I was I was mentioning that because I know uh, in the crowd below for some of these pilots, there are family members or people that they know, and so we wanted to bring you one of the pilots behind that fly, but fly by, fly over, he's going to correct me. I'm sure it's major Andrew Faith, and he joins us on the phone now. Good morning. Good morning. Most important question. Do you have a really cool call sign? Uh,
6: yeah, good question. I do have a call sign, and uh, it's currently Hasno. And it's just a play on my last name, at, uh, something that I got in Coal Lake uh, moving through fighter training. So, an- yeah, absolutely. An-
3: Andrew Hasno faith.
6: Yeah, correct, yeah. <laughs>
3: That's Andrew, actually an that's a that's
6: an
0: important part of your culture, though, right? As as pilots, you you've all got these call signs. I actually got to do to, to sit in a CF eighteen a few years ago, and it was I was not allowed to call the captain by his name. He said, "No, it's Fat Daddy."
6: Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, within the fighter culture, for sure, that call signs is very important, and it's part of the esprit de core and the family nature of it. You know, similar to you know Winnipeg or the Winnipeg Jets, that that teamwork is very important.
0: So, the, the flyby, is it a flyby or a flyover? Uh, I think either would work. Fly, we, we would call it
6: flyby ourselves, but I mean, flyover, you get the point. Uh, so, either one should work.
3: Okay, so I live south of the city, so I was watching the four uh, planes circling overhead, the four jets, uh, waiting for your signal. Walk us through how this works. Like, how fast do you go, and, and how do you get that go so that you time it so perfectly to be over the Bell MTS uh, arena right at the end of the anthem?
6: Yeah, so that's a really good question. So a lot of the planning that we do is similar to just driving a car, like say for if you wanted to drive from Winnipeg to Regina, you'd have to calculate, you know, how much fuel it would take and what's the distance to do that. So we would do that as well. What's the distance from Musha, how much fuel it would take. But with a flyover with the timing specifically yesterday was um seven oh nine and fifteen seconds was our our t O T or time over MTS. So once we have that timing, then everything works off that timing backwards. So for timing, we kind of plan backwards. And so from that timing, when you saw us in the there we were just holding and waiting to uh, the next timing is called a push timing. So we were just waiting until our push timing so we can be over the, the field at the right time. And then lastly, in order we'd have to figure out what time we have to leave Moose Shot to make it into the hold in order to push over the MTS center, if that it all makes sense.
1: It makes complete sense. What I'm interested to know is how long does it take for you to make that run from St. Adolph, which would be what, about 20 kilometers or maybe less south of the perimeter highway over downtown, and then you're on your way and flying straight back to Moose Jaw? You, you fly and, and wave and away you go, or, or do you come back and, and you lie, uh, land here in Winnipeg?
6: Yeah, so that's another good question. We, we like to keep it simple, in terms of holding, so we usually hold two minutes out, and uh, in two minutes for us is about uh, 12 miles or 24 kilometers. And then at, at that rate, so we're doing 420 nautical miles per hour, which is around uh, 840 kilometers an hour. And then we just leave the hold or the push two minutes before to fly over the MTS center, which is about two-minute run. And uh, we can do any kind of small tweaks in the timing in those two minutes that happen. And then afterwards, we like to land in Winnipeg and then, uh, you know, head down to the MTS Centre and see the White Oak Party and other stuff like that. So we stay here and then uh, stay overnight. And then actually today we have the opportunity to fly over to Calgary and take part in uh, their first, their game one as well. So it's really a pleasure. We're really grateful for the chance to, you know, demonstrate the Air Force's ability in calgary and showcase what we do because we really do think we have the best job in the world so it's and great we, to be here
3: we call it the best seat in the house but i'm curious what you actually see in that what does it take a second to go over top of the building like what does it look like from your perspective
6: yeah so we're we're about 500 feet above the ground so you're, you know you can see buildings and windows and things like that cars and rivers so we're basically looking at large features like there's the the river just off to the south of the mts center that just you know walk us into the target the so or sorry, the MTS Center. But we use an acronym like big, medium, small. So we try and look at big features and walk our eyes onto the smaller features as we get closer. So
0: should we be concerned that you thing. use the word target?
6: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's one word I probably shouldn't use, but that's just kind of the the lingo that we call everything. So for our training, we everything is called, you know, a target. So time on target, but in today's case it's just a friendly place that the MTS center that we're trying to get to at a certain time.
0: Do you ever get a point where, like you say, it's two minutes out, so where you start your run or your approach, is there ever an instance where you've been called back or called off? Like, no, they haven't started the anthem yet, pull back.
6: Yeah, you'd be surprised how often that happens. I would say more often than not. uh, These things are never really smooth. Uh, with uh with NHL games, it seems to be a lot better like the timing is is more fixed where they have you know they'll time the national anthem and then we can have a more accurate run in But even yesterday, there was a fifteen second uh, delay uh, which coming in, which seems insignificant, but when you're kind of committed uh, going as fast as we do, fifteen seconds is kind of a big problem to solve in two minutes so but it, it does happen quite frequently, especially with four airplanes, it's hard to kind of turn four airplanes around and line up again for a 15-second delay.
1: Why four? What, can you explain to us why that formation in particular?
6: Well, the formation for four yesterday was was more due to our training. We had a guy that needed to do an upgrade to be able to lead four aircraft around. So we ended up doing that training at the same time as completing the, the fly pass mission. So we could do one, two, three, or four. Uh, we came here last year with four. It looks nice. So we went with the same...
3: It did look nice. And, you know, one of the questions some listeners have is, this is part of your mandated training exercise? Does this just go towards hours as pilots, you know, in case some are questioning, well, who pays for it or how that works?
6: Yeah, another good question. So yeah, every day we're, we're constantly training and updating currency. So yesterday, like I mentioned, a guy had to do a four, uh, four aircraft upgrade. So we did that yesterday. And then today on the way back, we have students that are doing, you know, tests on the way back. So we're trying to squeeze... Every little bit out of every mission uh, and still, you know, accomplish the objective of being over to the MTS Center at a certain time. So it it really is an exciting career. I mean, every day is different. So uh, it's, it's, uh, we try and do as best we can with what we got, but definitely very exciting every day.
0: We got to get out here, but before we go, what what kind of aircraft were you piloting?
6: So we had uh, four uh, CT 155 Hawk aircraft. They're a training aircraft in Moose Saskatchewan where we train pilots and it 's a uh, fighter lead in training uh, for future pilots to go f eighteens in the future, uh, so uh, we 're basically at Moosha. we've got uh, lots of spots for recruiting pilots, so if anybody's out there interested in coming to Moosha and learn to fly aircraft and take on the best job in in, in Canada we, yeah we'd more like than likely have, like to have them
0: Major Andrew has no faith with the Royal Canadian Air Force it was one of the part of the crew flying over the Bell MTS place last night. Hasno, thank you for joining us today. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you very much. Take care. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, April is World Parkinson's Awareness Month, and today is World Parkinson's Day. And we wanted to talk to a famous Winnipegger who has Parkinson's. His name is Tim Haig Sr. He joins us now live on 680 CJOB. And Tim, I, I've met you in our hallway, but it's a pleasure to speak to you on the air because uh, I first saw you on, as many Winnipeggers did, on the Amazing Race Canada when you won with your son. Yeah. And uh, God, I'm such a big fan of you guys. So thanks for joining us this morning. We appreciate the time.
4: Uh, you're very welcome. Thank you. It's, it's nice to talk to you again. That's all those were great times.
1: Yeah, And obviously a springboard for some other things, Tim. You're traveling the world right now and sharing your story. What is it that you're trying to get across to people in terms of, of your life with Parkinson's?
4: You know what? The goal is to encourage folks living with Parkinson's and to tell them that we can do this. We can live a great life despite having Parkinson's.
3: What do you think the fear is, you know, when a person is it the misunderstanding that comes with any diagnosis? You get a name or a label, and then you're like, oh, my gosh, these are the things that my life is going to become. What's the number one thing you hear or maybe that you even felt when you were first told that you had Parkinson's that made you wonder about the future and how your life would go?
4: Oh, my gosh. You think life's over. Like, you, you, you honestly think life is done because most people don't understand Parkinson's. They think Parkinson's is a forgive the term, an old man's disease, that um, you're just done. You're not going to be able to do anything that you've wanted to do uh, before, that it's going to rob you of all your ability, that life is going to suck from this point on, and that you're just you're just finished. And, and that's a difficult fear to overcome. You know, I spent my first year after diagnosis sitting on the couch being depressed and it took some serious help to get past that because you, you Stopping stop and you look around and at 46 years old, there was nobody else with Parkinson's. I knew no one else my age with Parkinson's disease. And so you really honestly think that your your life has come to an end. But the good news is, it hasn't. There is still so much that can still be done.
0: What were the early alarm bells that went off for you?
4: Oh, I I self-diagnosed really early. Uh, I woke up one day with it. My left big toe was twitching. And I knew something was up. But my dad had had Parkinson's, and I had a half-sister with MS, so I I knew something was cooking.
3: Is there a link there in terms of hereditary nature of Parkinson's? Uh,
4: Depends on who you talk to. Uh, uh, The way I tend to answer that question is that it's not scientifically proven yet, but there seems to be. And Parkinson's is so absolutely diverse. uh, No two people are the same. Who knows? Maybe there's multiple factors. And we just haven't figured it out yet.
1: Tim, you were in the healthcare field. You were a nurse at St. Bonneville's Hospital. Yes. How, how did that experience, your, your work experience, help you in dealing with this? Or did it?
4: Oh, yeah. It was a wonderful blessing and a curse. Because as a nurse, I knew what to expect. I, I had nursed many patients with Parkinson's disease. I understood it probably better than most and knew where to go to get good information. How important That's the blessing. The curse is that I was a nurse, I knew where to go to get good information, and I had nursed a lot of people with Parkinson's.
1: <laughs> right. But. And so you, you'd seen what it had done to other people, right?
4: That's right. Yeah. That's right.
3: In terms of just, you know, today being World Parkinson's Day, and I'm reading, you know, about the numbers in Manitoba that they expect them to double by... 2031 in terms of the number of Parkinson's cases to about 12,000. So it probably really feels like now more than ever, you need to get that message out there so people can recognize those symptoms, have that early diagnosis and maybe, maybe get a leg up on, on their disease.
4: That's right. And once you know to don't do what I did, don't do it so many of us did, it stopped. Like I had been running, cycling, looking after myself and I stopped and man, was it a tough, Hill to climb when you finally get your head back around straight and want to get going again. So, to realize that there is good news in this, that you can do this, that together we can, as we like to say at our organization, U turn Parkinson's. We can make a turn in this and we can live well. So, you got to get with a community that will support you, that will encourage you to exercise, encourage you to look after yourself, and together we can do this.
0: Now you've launched, uh, you've written a book among many things. You launched your own charity, u turned Parkinson's. You're going to be speaking at World Parkinson Congress in June. And you wrote a book called Perseverance. How have people taken to the book?
4: Well, you know what? Uh, There's rumors coming that there might be a second print. Hmm. Oh, wow. So, so yeah, um, it's done very, very well. We have sold thousands all around the world. I am blessed beyond words at how well it's been received. It's been a bestseller here at home at McNally Robinson. And um, yeah, it's just been very, very well received. And I think part of it is, is like this morning, uh, we need a community to survive this thing, right? And to thrive in it. And I woke up, quite frankly, feeling kind of rotten. I didn't sleep well last night. And uh, I just woke up feeling a little overwhelmed with things. And our buddy, Taz, Big Daddy Taz, called me. <laughs> and he said, you know what, Tim? There's- World Parkinson's Day and I was just thinking about you. And that changed my morning. And, you know, the fact that he left me with a little chuckle helped as well. He tells me, he says, you are you an optimist or a pessimist? I said, well, I'm an optimist. You know, your you glass half full or half empty? Well, it's half full. He goes, of course it's half full. You have Parkinson's. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Part of me there, I gotta be honest. I'm like, do I laugh at uh, this? Yes. yes you do. Yes you, the, yes, you do. That's right? the point.
1: That's absolutely <laughs> you laugh. It doesn't define you, right, Tim? And I think that's the it's, biggest lesson is that this this is this is I'm not uh, Parkinson's disease survivor, Tim Haig Sr. I'm Tim Se- Tim Haig Sr. And by the way, I have Parkinson's.
4: That's exactly right. So, doggone, yes, we laugh at this thing. We mock it, and we kick it in the butt every day and overcome it.
0: Tim so, yeah. so Well, listen, awesome. Tim, thank you for joining us this morning, uh, and thank you for the laugh. We appreciate this, and we appreciate everything you're doing. Uh, you're an amazing guy, and you're going to continue to do amazing things, so we appreciate the time.
4: You're very welcome, and let me just throw in here two seconds. April 27th, we're having an open house at U-Turn Parkinson's. That folks can come and check us out and see what we're doing. Where's that? At uh, 55 Henlow, u U You can find all the information there.
0: Tim Higgs Sr. joining us live on 680 CJOB on this World Parkinson's Day. Mackling McGarry McNabb. Mackling, have you ever heard noises in your home and thought you were being robbed? Yes. Helps if I turn on your microphone. Yes. (laughs) McNabb, have you ever thought you were being. Oh, yeah.
3: I've I've pulled out the broom. I've been been at the ready to beat someone down on more than one occasion.
0: Well, that was the scenario. my instinct at three in the morning. (laughs) It was the scenario in Oregon this week where police got a call about an intruder, but when they arrived, they found something else completely.
3: Burglary in progress.
1: A call for help came from this Washington County home just
2: before 2 o'clock Monday afternoon.
3: They believe someone's inside the bathroom. The bathroom door is
7: locked and they can see a shadow under the door.
2: Dispatch sends us a call that there's a burglary in progress. Deputy Brian Rogers was one of the first on scene. He was met by two guys who were house sitting for their nephew. When they walked in their house, they said that they heard... You know, noises in the house and then a bathroom door closed.
1: Fearing that an intruder was inside the bathroom, Rogers and two
2: colleagues suited up. I have uh, what's referred to as a long gun or a rifle out. Um, The detective and the other deputy have their their duty-issued handguns out. As the armed trio moves towards the bathroom, they hear a commotion. It it sounded like somebody was trying to get through a window. So I had a deputy post up on the back of the house to make sure suspect couldn't bail out the, the back window of the bathroom. And we pushed our way into the bathroom. Inside, they found their suspect standing three and a half inches tall, about 13 inches wide. Six, six, we can clear
8: the signal too. It is a robot vacuum cleaner.
1: A Roomba
2: robotic vacuum slamming up against a glass shower door. All of us just started laughing. It, we hadn't, I mean, what else can you do?
7: <laughs>
3: yeah, we got oh. a Roomba. <laughs>
7: Thief made a clean getaway. Oh, oh Kelly. Kelly with the championship pun.
1: Wow.
0: Well done, yeah, well Mr. more. So, have you guys ever heard stuff that you thought it was uh, an intruder and it turned out to be something else? Who somewhat. It first?
3: Somewhat. Forte. Actually, <laughs> it was last night. <laughs> oh, when, 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 I, when I woke up this morning, rather, uh, I, I'm, I get up night. I, I'm hearing voices and I'm going, what the heck? Like, is there somebody in, in my apartment? Like... I'm new here. I put my head out and I left my TV on. That's all it was. I left my TV on. I thought there was somebody in my apartment. But do you not feel for that moment? Like your heart kind of (laughs) drops because you're like, what am I going to do here if I open this door?
5: Well, I thought people were fighting it out in the hallway. And I was like, no, that sounds louder than in the hallway. It sounds like it's coming from my apartment. And I open up my bedroom door and I was like, oh. How did I leave the TV on? It was <laughs> the weirdest thing. <laughs> Maybe you didn't.
0: Do
7: you remember what program I was on? When
0: oh, yeah, you I was found watching,
3: it? yeah, I was watching uh, the Jets game, so uh, it was still on that channel.
7: Okay, <laughs> Kelly, what about you? I was racking my brain trying to think of an instance where uh, something like that would have happened, and, and, and I'm coming up dry. We, I don't know for, for whatever reason. I guess the only thing I can draw comparisons to we had uh, when we moved back to Camloops in 2006. Uh, there was one night, there was a tradition where all of the high school students in grade 12 from that neighborhood climbed up this hill and had their grad party up there. And they and they go there en masse. So in the middle of the night, we hear what sounds like a riot. And it, and it sounds like it's right underneath our bedroom window. But in fact, they were walking along the sidewalk on the main road and then going around a half a block away up up to this hill. But that's the only time I can think of where I thought... What are all these people doing in my yard?
0: Now, Mackling, I know that you pulled some sound. We, we were going to play it in the last segment, and I want to make sure we get this in. What's that noise? Is there a noise?
3: Yeah.
4: What is it?
2: It's probably just a house sound or something.
4: A house sound? Yeah. What's a house sound?
2: Noises that
0: a house makes. Houses make noises. Yeah,
2: plumbing or just settling. What?
0: Settling.
1: <laughs> Larry and Cheryl their first night in a new house, and uh, Larry simply cannot cannot sleep. They actually hire someone to investigate the house sound. And the first time my brother and I were alone in our house, in uh, Brandon, I'll never forget. My brother and I. Do you hear that? Yeah, I hear it. Do you hear that? I think it's coming from the kitchen. And you tiptoe into the kitchen. And my palms are sweaty just thinking about it. And you can hear this creaking sound. Long story short, we tiptoe towards the freezer and you're, you're the noise is definitely coming from the freezer, and it's like, how did an animal get inside the freezer? And all these different things are going through your head, but that's all it was. Where there's things shifting yeah. in the yeah. freezer, either thawing or just moving. What about
3: the ice? Like when the ice maker in our fridge goes, like it yeah. drops the, the ice down, and at least once a week, I jump or someone says, "What was that?" Like it's just it's, and you know it's there, and you know what it is.
7: And there's that fresh air return from the house when it's windy, and you hear that clicking on the side of the house. And you think, what's going on?
3: Oh, yeah. Or or your
7: fan can spin on its own in the bathroom, even though you don't have it on. I've got a
1: baseboard heater, and I don't know what is inside this thing because to my it
8: makes a grinding noise. It's like, are there moving parts inside the thing? (laughs) Because there aren't, are there? This one, I think it's got, I think it does have a little motor and a little fan in there or something. Oh, really? Just one of the few that's in my place. I've always lived in apartments and condos, so the noise, there's always noises. But it's not necessarily from my place and I will get up out of bed just to like make sure it's not in my house. I'm never afraid that it's actually a guy or whatever. I do do the thing though sometimes where if I run out to the parking lot or whatever and I don't lock the door behind me and I come back and I was like, well, somebody could have got in while I was gone. And then I – Dun, 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 Sweep dun, dun. the whole place, top <laughs> to bottom, yeah. sh- under the bed, throw open the shower curtain, and just to make sure there's nobody in there. I was oh,
3: like, oh, the shower curtain. Oh <laughs> yeah. Does, does, does anyone else get oh. into the bathroom and you open yep. up the shower curtain to make sure no one's in there? Yep. Just okay. up. I still look under the bed sometimes and we have in the house because when the kids were younger they're toys some of them are battery operated or they make music and we had this one that would spin and it had this song like take a spin around the sea and it was just super <laughs> oh, creepy <crazy. laughs> and it would go off in the middle of the night no. and you'd be like oh, and, you'd go, and you're go, and you like this the kid's up and you go down and you're searching through the toy box and it's and, you would, and we would put it in the garage and then eventually like it just kept happening and we're like someone's got to throw that thing out it is puzzling like, Smash it into pieces? Oh, it was awful. It was and, terrifying. And you
1: guys think my fear of sharks is irrational.
0: I think <laughs> not. We had a conversation last half hour about a woman who called 911, and you can read the headline. 680 CJOB Instagram story. We've linked it there. Woman calls 911 in Oregon to report an intruder. Police come check it out. Turns out it's a robot vacuum. It is a Roomba that was banging around, and we got a flood of text messages on similar stories. Mackling, what are you seeing?
1: One night I got home late from my sister-in-law's house. I had just gone to bed and heard my name said three times at the bottom of the stairs in my son's voice. Don't know what it was. I covered my head and rolled over saying, nope. Nope,
3: <laughs> nope. Oh so she's my at God. someone else's house where her son couldn't possibly be, but Correct. still hears this. Oh my gosh, that would be scary. I like this one from Sandy who says she heard this swish sound at 5 a.m. One of the dogs is looking around the corner in the kitchen and he starts backing up. She thinks, okay, someone's there. Oh my God, cat brought a duck in the house. The swish sound was coming through the doggy door. He let the duck go. The duck then hops in the sink and proceeds to turn on the water. Side note, she says duck was unharmed.
0: On strange noises, we live in a building that's 107 years old. We have a basement suite. There are some very large, very old heating pipes that run along our ceiling. As the winter sets in and people start turning on their radiators, there's a sound in the pipes that conjures images of bags of broken glass being dragged by little gnomes in the pipes. (laughs) It's very strange. That is a colorful description. That is
3: a great
1: description. I I got this one from Joanne. Good morning. I, I need to share this. I was in high school in Nelson, B.C., and I was sewing in my room with my back to the door. My mom, dad, and one sister went to Washington for a week, and my other sister was tree planting and not to be back till the end of the week. I didn't hear a thing with my machine going. I stood up to iron, and my sister supposed to be tree planting, was standing in the door. I looked at her, grabbed her shoulders, and shook her as I screamed, and then I slapped her. I didn't mean to, but no one was to be home for a week. She was on the ground and laughing her head off. I have a great day. That's from Joanne.
0: And one more here, and you can keep sending us your stories, but this wasn't an intruder, but my daughters used to have one of these rocking tigger horses? Is that correct? Yeah, Winnie the Pooh and Tigger, Mm -hmm. I'm guessing. Oh, okay. It was like a a rocking horse. So one night, my husband and I were sitting watching TV, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, this thing starts singing at us. Nobody touched it. Girls already in bed. It was singing songs that were not part of its playlist. Mm -hmm. All I can say is that That thing quickly was removed from our house because it freaked us out. The next day, though, we brought it inside and pushed the button on its ear, and it played the normal stuff that it had all along. And still to this day, we have the Tigger hidden away, but it has never played that playlist that we heard that night. That was 15 years ago.
3: And they kept it?
0: Yeah, well, there's no... Well, I think that's more to highlight the fact that 15
1: years ago... Probably no Bluetooth technology, so there wasn't somebody outside their house playing a a really mean trick on them. Just something really freaky that That happened. That is
3: super freaky. It almost makes you think there's some guy in one of those toy factories. He's like, You know what I'm going to do? You know (laughs) they do. (laughs) Like every seven, the 17,000th time this kid hits this ear, I'm going to freak this family out.
0: That is diabolical. But we start this hour by asking the question, do you put your seatbelt on every time you get in the car?
3: And if I'm going to be honest, I'm going to answer that with a no. Sometimes I haven't. And and I'm, we're asking this question this morning because of a tweet the RCMP sent out earlier this week about what they saw, well undercover in Salkirk. So they essentially had officers in plain clothes standing at a busy intersection looking for any possible traffic infractions. And they found four drivers using their phones while driving. And so they were ticketed for distracted driving. But they also spotted another 25 people and they were given fines for not wearing their seatbelts. Sergeant Paul Manegra is with the RCMP and joins us now to tell us more about what officers saw. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, so this distracted driving I don't think surprises anybody. Uh, In this day and age, though, were officers surprised by that number of seatbelt infractions?
8: Uh, I'm going to say no. Uh, We continue to see people uh, continuing this high-risk driving behavior. Uh, The stats just show that people continue to... Uh, trying to use their devices uh, and this leads us to, like you say finding the seatbelts, uh, which then leads to other highway traffic heck matters that we can lay charges for
1: Paul are you still surprised to hear people that disagree with the seatbelt legislation altogether
8: I don't know if we hear of anyone complaining about it it's just in my opinion now it's just it's either a habit people wear it or it's a habit they don't And those are the people that we're still finding. And with the amount of vehicles on the roads today, it's just the law of of averages state. We're going to find those that aren't wearing their seatbelts.
3: We'll have to check in with the Winnipeg Police Service on their numbers. But what do your numbers show when it comes to the number of fines you hand out for people not wearing seatbelts?
8: Well, we probably average uh, almost 1,200 people a year that we'll charge with not wearing a seatbelt. And this is pretty consistent over the last couple of years. And what's probably the more concerning number is 60% of those killed in motor vehicle collisions um, are those not wearing their seatbelts. Uh, so you, you've got a more than a 50% chance if you're involved in a serious collision that because of not wearing a seatbelt, it, it, it could be, result in a fatal.
0: Now, Loren mentioned uh, sometimes she has not put on her seatbelt uh, and alluded to maybe small-town mentality. I don't know. Is there? Do you notice a difference between city and outside the city?
8: Well, all our statistics are basically outside of uh, Winnipeg. So uh, for example, we did an observational survey on Highway 59, uh, which has close to 10,000 vehicles per day traveling on the highway. Uh, We're catching approximately 5% of these vehicles not wearing seatbelts. So if you look at that number, that's 500 people a day on one section of highway are not wearing a seatbelt. So you can imagine now all it takes is one little mishap in this highway and You could have a fatality, and that could be daily.
1: Yeah, and sometimes we have these uh, perceptions that, you know, uh, A, it's not going to happen to us, and it can't possibly happen around the corner. From our home, and I can tell you, I was in a serious car accident 18 months ago, less than two kilometers from my house, basically two stoplights from where I live. I was sitting at a red light, and I was rear-ended by someone doing over 80 kilometers an hour, and if I had not been wearing my seatbelt, I would not be sitting here speaking with you this morning.
8: Well, absolutely. Uh, It's just, seatbelts are meant to keep you in the car and to keep you as safe as possible, and that's, we just... People need to get into that habit, and that's what it is. It's getting a habit of when you sit in the car, it's the first thing you should be doing.
3: When you mentioned the the numbers on Highway 59, part of the reason why I talked about, you know, there's been times of not wearing a seatbelt as I live in a smaller community. I grew up in a small town, and there was that kind of idea in your head if you're just going a couple blocks. But you're talking about people not wearing their seatbelts on a highway where they're going 100 kilometers per hour, which which I'm not trying to say one's better or worse than the other, but that also just seems to kind of boggle the mind that that would be the choice made.
8: Yeah, the speeds that people uh, like to travel on the highways, uh, absolutely. It just makes that collision that more serious if something were to happen.
1: So enforcement is obviously a big deal. We've seen lots of education. In your mind, what's the key to people, finally this, that last 5 to 9% of people buckling up? Oh, it's just,
8: like you say, you've got to get that mindset that it has to become a habit. And like I say, right now, this month, we're actually in the middle of a distracted driving enforcement. So we're looking for the the people using their handheld devices, which, you know, with the the observations of the officers, that's why we're finding the seatbelts and which leads to, uh, you know, Selkirk caught a suspended driver. So the idea is to make it a habit. That way people, when you get in, you put it
0: on and you go. All right, RCMP's Paul Manegg joining us live on 680 CJOB. Thank you very much for the time. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. I remember uh, New Year's Eve once uh, driving home from the bar with my buddy. He was the driver. I was the passenger. It was like a three-minute drive from the bar to home, and I thought for whatever reason when I got in my car, ah, we don't need I don't need to put my seatbelt on. It's a, We're just taking side streets. But I did. I waited a few seconds, and then I put it on, and thank God I did because he crashed his car. Not because he was driving like a fool, just... Took a slippery turn, hit a tree, and uh, uh, same thing, Greg. I would have been in a lot, of, lot more trouble than I would have been in had I uh, not been wearing my seatbelt. So just put on the seatbelt.
3: It makes a big difference now, too, with the warning systems. I don't know if it's because people want to put their belt on or they're just annoyed by that binging noise or the, the beeping in their car. But that helps because that is, if you're not putting it on, nobody wants to sit through that. So I think that's good. But, I, yeah, I, hearing those numbers, you know, I think uh, food for thought. Your kids don't call you on it? Oh, yeah, no, they call me on. And if, if they even see me, like, think about my phone ringing and no mom, like, no hands on the phone, See your seat, put your seatbelt on, like, all sorts of things, which is great. They're the best
0: constables. Absolutely,
3: the best moral compass out there.
0: Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think.